0: Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver Newsroom. I'm Kurt LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. We stage many public events and we invite your attendance at them. Next Wednesday, May 22nd, we're going to be discussing the next phase of cannabis legalization. On the 29th of May, we're going to talk about ride hailing's introduction, at least the proposed introduction later this year, with the head of the BC Tech Association and an executive from Lyft, one of the new entrants proposed into the market. Details on these events and more are at biv.com slash events. Now, one of our events this week dealt with money laundering, and it happened to be well-timed as the province launched an inquiry into the tentacles of this illegal practice into our economy. There are plenty of political opportunities for the Horgan government in this, but the inquiry itself is led by a, a former Supreme Court justice in BC and is designed to be independent. What might we expect, and what does the public want? I'm always pleased to have, as a guest, Mario Canseco. He writes for us regularly at BIV and at Glacier Media He is, of course, president of Research Coa Public Opinion Firm. Good to have you here.
1: Great to be here.
0: Um, Well, you know, I think I've been reading your polling for months and months now in which it was very clear public support for this has been strong for some time. Why? Why does the public want this?
1: Well, I think there's a couple of factors. Uh, one of them is uh, there's a, a sense of decency for most British Columbians. They are dismayed at the fact that this happens. They're unhappy with the situation that led to uh, words like the Vancouver model being thrown around to yeah. discuss what is happening. Uh, and I think, you know, one of the issues is that there's a certain sense of dismay uh, but there's also the the situation of wanting something done about it not necessarily only figuring out why this happened and how it can be stopped but also trying to figure out who was responsible for this and finding some way to hold them accountable. And I think that is going to be one of the most difficult parts of the inquiry um, because it's not a situation that is going to end as uh, some people would hope in social media with uh, specific politicians being dragged out to jail.
0: Yeah. There is a sense of, at the moment anyway, a a kind of vindictiveness that appears out there politically. But what I also wonder about, and we can talk about that for a second, but... But what I also wonder about is whether, in hindsight now, it is clear that the public did apprehend that there was something really wrong in the system, and that that might have even counted against the BC Liberals in the last election, without ever really discussing it. It was almost like a subconscious thing going happening.
1: I, I definitely think it was. Uh, you know, part of it is. Uh, we had a group of residents who were definitely dissatisfied with the way the liberals were governing. They weren't necessarily embracing the NDP. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have the electoral result that we did, where the NDP needs to be held by the Greens in order to uh, keep their sustainability. Um, But there was a sense, particularly from some former BC liberal voters, that we didn't really get anything personally out of all of those surpluses, that the services weren't there, that the money was coming in, and that we were in the black, but it wasn 't something that was helping your average resident, and now that we have this discussion about money laundering, it makes them even more unhappy with the way things were going because and,
0: i because and- I, I look at at a lost seat, for instance, like Suzanne Anton right. in Fraser View here she was, the attorney general, and we 've had her on the show many times and 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 you know she she clearly still plays a bit of a political role out there. But I I wonder whether even just the the disquiet about the real estate situation in our city was enough, to some degree, to mark against a lot of the BC Liberals that were seeking election in 2017, particularly in the city of Vancouver?
1: The city, we saw that change. I think we saw housing become an issue uh, around 2014, 2015. It stayed there. It Mm -hmm. was uh, probably combined with the issue of homelessness for a while. Uh, But it became the number one issue for young voters. It became the number one issue for Generation Xers. And that definitely plays a role in the way you're going to vote in the next election. Uh, We see it also municipally. So Mm -hmm. it's one of those scenarios where if you know somebody... Maybe somebody close to you, maybe a friend, maybe a son, maybe a daughter who cannot afford to stay in the city and who has to look at some other place or some other venue or can get into the housing market. You start to look for somebody who is responsible for this. And when you see all of those mansions being bought and sold... Uh, you start to wonder where the money is coming from. And I think that is one of the reasons for the public to be so upset. Now, that should not justify vindictiveness. I think there is a problem here with the expectations of a specific component of the British Columbians uh, uh, who would like to see something that is quite drastic. I don't think they understand the ramifications of this. I think in my estimation, it should be more about... Figuring out what to do, changing some of the guidelines, and some of the guidelines have been changed already, uh, but not necessarily turning this into a media circus.
0: Yeah, I, I wrote this week that I don't, I don't actually even I think thoroughly apprehend the extent of how laundered money finds its way into the economy, but I, I've read a lot about it, uh, and I don't think the public is ready quite for understanding what kind of holes are going to be driven into the day to day economy, if you really were to stamp it out. I'm not suggesting that you leave it alone, but but I, I wonder, you know, are we in the space yet of being prepared to be educated, or are we still in this angry phase where we want villains and we want to draw in court of them?
1: <laughs> well I think we're in the angry phase. And and you know, looking into the numbers, I think the actual motivations of the voters, depending on who you supported in the last election, are very different. I think that there's many NDP voters and Green voters who want some revenge, who want to see politicians yeah. you know, drawn out and you know, being discussed and, and to have them facing the microphones, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily going to bring us anywhere closer to where we need to go, which is establishing some guidelines and, and making sure that this doesn't happen again.
0: And yet um, I've heard the Premier, in uh, the last, oh, I don't know, the last month, changed his tune quite considerably. And he says that really it was the second wave of reports that Peter German produced and Maureen Maloney oversaw the task force that had looked at this. Uh, and and it I guess it probably drove him to the end of his <laughs> <laughs> tolerance with it. Uh, and he decided that this had to be something to happen. However, I've also heard him say quite clearly, the public needs to know what the previous government knew and when it knew. So how does he manage this, Mario, politically, so that, uh, Kel-K, so that, he, you know, his cohort still believe in him, but he doesn't antagonize, uh, the province and appear to be somebody who is not statesmanlike.
1: Well, I think the key here is to make yourself uh, somebody who is as far away from this as possible. Let the inquiry do its job. Let the people who have been appointed deal with the situation. Uh, there might be some advantages politically, and I think there will be. It's deliciously ironic that the report, the final report, will be released in May for an election that is going to be held in October. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I think, you know, part of the situation- Sure, coincidence there, I'm
0: sure. Yeah, of Because- <laughs> Who wants to let one of these things go on for three years when are you can oh. do it in two? Yeah.
1: And and yeah. maybe that's one of the reasons why they waited so long to announce this. You know, if they do this within the first three months of their mandate, everybody forgets. But by the time the next election happens, Fair it's enough. quite yeah. sad. But that's the way it can go politically. Uh, I think we'll figure out just how much this means uh, once we know who was responsible. Once we know the effect that this is going to have on the BC Liberals, I think. The key here is if we get to August or September and we start to see ads that feature the money laundering discussions, what the liberals did, what they didn't, that is going to be the way to do it. I don't think this is something where the premier should get involved and say, look at the mess you left me. So uh, That can only take you so far.
0: So let the inquiry do its job for him in a certain in way. In a certain way. And not like this is not time to pile on. It's not time to talk about revelations that come out uh, day after day. Um, okay, so- what, what does Andrew Wilkinson have to do as this all starts to happen? You know, does, you know the, we, we know that there's also pressure on the .BC. liberals to put forward uh, a batch of documentation that the NDP says it can't even get its hands on, so that we're inside the Liberal government. How, do, how does he work this one so that,, you know, he, he doesn't get hurt further?
1: Well, I think it's ultimately about two issues. One of them is cooperating as much as possible. If the documents are there, share them. If you can be part of the discussions and make yourself ready to talk to whoever requires you as part of this inquiry, go ahead and do it. Uh, but also, I think there, there, there will be people who will be signaled. There, there will be people who will be seen as, as some of the key players in, in the situation. And I think the leader of the party needs to step up and say, we don't want you running in the next election. I think that's definitely part of it. It's a party that has- I I think
0: we're talking about Rich Coleman here to start,
1: right? To start, but there might be others. We we don't really know how this is going to play out until we see all the numbers. Uh, But I think part of the situation here is you cannot head into the next election as a party that is supposedly revitalized if the same people who have been discussed, uh, who were involved in this in a way, or who were part of the government that didn't oversee it properly, uh, are still present. I think that's definitely one of the problems. They need to revitalize, get some more younger people, younger candidates, younger entrepreneurs. It's the only way to make the voters who said, I'm sick of the busy liberals, come back to the fold.
0: Okay, Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to be a contrarian here. And and I don't want anybody to infer that I'm being partisan. but hey, we just came through Robert Mueller's investigation yes. where everybody thought that Donald Trump would be in jail by now kind of thing. Is it possible that the old guard of the BC liberals actually gets a kind of an exoneration in all of this, that, that in fact they, you know, they they weren't as culpable as, as the speculation is, and, well, and that in and a lot of ways uh, you know, like they might actually benefit from this?
1: They might, because it may not hurt them as much as most people expect. I think when it comes to this particular issue, if you're somebody who is hyper-partisan, you already have your own points of view on who is responsible, what you want done, who should go to jail, what the punishment should be. Kind of the Democrats have with Donald Trump. Exactly. And it's not something that is going to be easily... Uh, demonstrated uh, depending on how long the inquiry goes or the type of situation that we see. Mm. Uh, if something happens to some of the political players, there's a danger from somebody who might be thinking of supporting the busy liberals, and that might actually make them not go there. But if you're talking about trying to bring in the two hyper-partisan sides, it's not going to help. Uh, we've seen it in the United States consistently. There's always this moment when people say, okay, this is the moment when Trump's base folds, and it's not, it hasn't happened. Yeah.
0: No kidding. Uh, I want to uh, explore a little bit around uh, what this might also mean in our housing market. And um, is there any research out there right now about what the public expectations are or, or understandings are about the extent of um, you know illegal forces being a factor in the market?
1: Well, there's definitely a sense from residents that uh, there's a many instances of money laundering happening. I think part of the situation is we read about a couple of cases, we read about a couple of realtors who have been punished, and there's the assumption that everything works that way and that all single transactions uh, are held in the same fashion. I think Mm -hmm. it's a very difficult situation for the real estate industry to deal with uh, but there's also the aspect of who should be responsible for knowing when you're dealing with money laundering. It may not be the realtors who are only signing papers. It might be the lawyers who are the ones who have to look at all the documents and 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 some other things. So you know ultimately, I think there's a split there. There's definitely people who blame the real estate uh, agencies or the realtors themselves, right. but there's others who say, "Well, wait a minute, I think a notary public should figure out when somebody's paying forty thousand dollars. Uh, In cash. Uh, So, you know, one of the issues there is who is ultimately going to be held responsible for the way in which the money got into the housing market to be laundered and not necessarily where the money came from.
0: I was intrigued to read uh, uh, an expert on money laundering uh, from the Netherlands talk this week about how people might be surprised on where this money is actually coming from, that we tend to point to China. Yeah, but in fact, her view is we're going to be surprised by the money it's having come in from the United States and Europe, Yeah, that those, those might be the larger centers of all of this. Um, so to some degree, does that deracialize a little bit of this discussion and, and permit us to have a probably a more sound discussion on, on the global situation and not kind of get ourselves into a corner?
1: I would sincerely hope so. I think there's a, there's a need to have some quantitative basis for many of these assertions. And I think part of the problem, and maybe part of the dismay that some uh, members of the public feel about what is going on is uh, the assumption that everything happens this way, that if there's a realtor who behaved unethically, then everybody does. If there's a student who is living in a $30 million house, then everybody does. And that's definitely problematic. And it ends up in a situation where you're blaming an entire country, an entire people, an entire industry for what is going on. I mean, hopefully after we have the final report, we'll figure out what is happening, how many people did it, and everybody, the industries that are involved, the casinos, the government, can have some guidelines and, and ensure that this doesn't happen again.
0: Uh, I went through uh, these reports this week. It was about 500-some pages of new documentation. Um, I looked, and I maybe I, maybe I just didn't find it, but I did not find what our province's finance minister said. About the impact of money laundering on the Vancouver housing market, twenty percent, twenty percent, twenty percent. I'm I'm a little baffled by that. Is that just like pulled out of thin air? Is it uh, is it just you know doing some math on the percentage in the province <laughs> and then and then figuring out oh Vancouver must be much uh, must be a multiple of that? Why, why would you get that number coming? From it, it a finance minister. Was,
1: it was quite strange for me as well. I, I don't think it's a situation where uh, you have anything that is, you know, a, a clear basis for that type of assertion. And, and I think their hope now is to find a situation where after the final report comes out, it's near that ballpark. Uh, because, you know, part of it is... This is where the base is. And I think that was also politically motivated in a way. You know, sure. it, if, if your kids can't stay here, if the situation isn't going well, if you had to move outside of the city of Vancouver, it's because of this. And, you know, it's, it's, it is actually affecting one in five of you. So it's quite rough. I don't think Does we're there it, yet.
0: Yeah. I mean, but can you see how it plays into the narrative of the NDP, that, that there is there's a villain of the piece in this one, as opposed to, you know, laws of supply and demand? Yeah. Well,
1: and it's also the last opportunity in a way to have your three main uh, characters, if you will, the premier, the attorney general, the minister of finance saying this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. It didn't happen on our watch. Now we're going to let the, the situation so take its hope, course.
0: They better hope this uh, uh, affirms them.
1: Of course, yes, because it's it's the last chance. I don't think we're going to hear anybody talk about this again until the final report. And then I think it'll be in the form of uh, specifically targeted ads or certain mentions in debates or, you know, when I was there, you did this and your government and you were somebody who was involved with whoever ends up being targeted by this.
0: Yeah, this is a a grand uh, systemic issue. It's not, uh, it's not a focused issue by any means. It's the, the tentacles of money laundering are all over the place. Uh, and I, I grant the fact that there's been a couple of reports, uh, but Peter German was one guy operating. Uh, Marine Maloney ran a task force, but again, they had no particular powers to subpoena people and get people into court. Is there enough time to get the job done that we may need here in? an interim report in 18 months, a final report within two years. Is that, I mean, are they going to be burning the midnight oil or or are they going to have to live with the fact that they'll have a, a very incomplete report?
1: Well, it is going to be difficult to get everything done, especially when the expectations of residents are so high. I think that's also part of the problem. This isn't a committee that is studying something that only matters to a few people. You know, When you have almost four out of five British Colombians saying, I want to see this happen. You know that people are going to be reading up on this and trying to figure out what's going on.
0: Presumably, we don't get anything started until the fall anyway, right? That's right. So you're really, you've got a window of about 18 months.
1: It's about 18 months to get everything done. Now, uh, it definitely depends on, on the type of uh, resources that they have at their disposal. I think there's a lot of concerns on how much this is going to cost. And right. I think that could be offset by the fact that you may recover money. But that's also one of the things that is hanging up in the air. This isn't about recovery necessarily. And, mm. and it's going to be very difficult. Even if you are able to pinpoint specific instances of money laundering, yeah. it's going to be difficult to try to get that money back.
0: I, I don't know if you've been in the field yet about um, about. Public expectations on this probe, but I, I wonder whether the public does expect that uh, as this proceeds, that the government doesn't sit back and say, "Well, let's get the final report before we do any legislation." Let's get the final report before we do any new guidelines. Let's get the final report before we affect anything involving this, so that we we don't have inadvertent consequences in all this. What do you? What would your instincts tell you before you get the research done? about what the public expectations are about how the government will act here over the next two years.
1: I think they des- they definitely need to do something in the middle. Uh, there might be things that are uncovered during the process of the inquiry that need to be dealt with. It's mm-hmm. almost as if you want to paint the house and you notice that there's a leak in the roof. <laughs> you have yeah. to do something about the leak first. yeah and it's important for them to do it in a way that doesn't seem to be partisan, to do it in a way that says, by taking this measure, we are going to ensure that there is one less avenue for the money launderers to exploit the tools that they have right now at their disposal. But it, it can not be a situation where you go in 2007 and 2010 and 2013, the previous government didn't do this, we're doing this. If they behave that way, people aren't going to react properly.
0: Yeah. Mario, always good to have you on the program. Thanks a lot for helping us today.
1: My pleasure, Kirk.
0: Mario Canseco is, of course, president of Research Co. I'm Kirk LePoint. Thanks a lot for listening to BIV Today. We'll see you next time.